Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. A warning. This episode contains explicit language, sexual content, and discussions of violence against trans women. Kokomo City is a remarkable documentary depicting the lives of Black trans sex workers. The women speak candidly about facing transphobia, misogynoir, and economic instability on a daily basis. It's also about finding strength in sisterhood and speaking truth to power. The movie was well-received at Sundance earlier this year, and it's definitely a conversation starter. I'm Aisha Harris, and today we're talking about Kokomo City on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you own a business, then suddenly a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. Would you add an extra shift, shift office hours, install those weird sleeping pod things? You can try to figure it out on your own or just get ADP. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything, even unexplainable cosmic events that end up granting humanity an extra hour a day. ADP. Always designing for people. Is it possible to engineer our way out of the climate crisis? Some entrepreneurs want to shoot particles into the stratosphere to combat global warming. Experts say regulations on this technology aren't keeping up. The world of solar geoengineering on the latest episode of The Sunday Story from NPR's Up First podcast. Joining me today is the co-host of the podcast, Fanti, journalist Travel Anderson. Welcome back, Travel. Hello, hello, hello. And making her pop culture happy hour debut is journalist, media personality, and co-host of the Recap podcast, We're Just Like That, Char Giselle. Welcome, Char. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. This is an esteemed honor, the NPR, honey. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are honored to have you. And you both also co-hosted the limited series podcast, We See Each Other, which explores the histories and present realities of trans visibility. It's based on Travel's very good book, debut book. Yes, yes, We See Each Other, a Black trans journey through TV and film. So I'm especially happy that we have you both to talk about this really, really fascinating movie. So Kokomo City features frank interviews with four Black trans sex workers, Daniela Carter, Leah Mitchell, Coco Dadal, and Dominique Silver. It's shot in black and white and weaves their storytelling and perspectives on dealing with clients, transphobia, poverty, and a lot, lot more in just a short 73-minute running time. It's directed by Dee Smith, a first-time filmmaker who previously worked as a music producer. She says that she was actually pushed out of that industry after she began transitioning. And if you're a fan of Love & Hip Hop Atlanta, you might also remember her being the show's first openly trans cast member a few years ago. Kokomo City is in theaters now. So Trevel, I would love to start with you and to sort of get your sense of 
how you felt about this movie. I know you have covered this and you've interviewed some folks involved mm-hmm. with the film. So where do you land on what it's uh, trying to show and depict in this film? Yeah, I love this movie. I love this documentary. I love the perspective. I love the folks who are centered in it, their voices. I've been calling Kokomo City instantly canonical for how it treats the narratives of Black women, Black trans women to be specific, Mm. and the ways that it allows us to like hear their stories in a way that I don't think we've actually heard before. I've been calling the film also a piece of cinema, like trying to make a distinction between just like a movie or a film, but like heightening it to this point of what I consider to be art because of the particular perspective that D. Smith has taken in terms of like stylistic choices, in terms of the music in the film. It's Mm. super graphic in really interesting ways. I really think like this is a documentary that shows us what could be possible, right, when you allow Black trans people to tell their own stories. Yeah. And I I do want to get to the stylistic choices a little bit later because that was something that definitely stood out to me while I was watching the film. Mm -hmm. Um, But Char, how about you? I mean, there have been other docs exploring trans life in the last few years, including actually Disclosure, which I know, Trayvell, you actually served as a creative consultant on from a few years back. Mm -hmm. But Char, I'm curious, like, how did this hit for you? You know, I know you've also interviewed the folks involved and seen it multiple times. So how Mm -hmm. is it feeling for you right now? So I, this is a documentary that I grew to love. And I say that because I never hated it. It's just something I think for me as a trans woman, I was a little jarred. I saw this film first back in January and I really questioned why are we positioning this documentary alongside, there's another one that's out called The Stroll that's streaming on Max, where it's centering sex work yet again, because... I have issue or had issue rather at the time with these stories kind of being cyclical and the general public was kind of applying certain narratives to every trans person and it didn't honor or hold space for other narratives to then be introduced. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, I totally agree with Trayvell in that this is a work of art in that I love the way that it's stylistically black and white. I can tell that there was a comfortability from the interview subjects from the cast Mm -hmm. where it just felt like round the way girls talking to round the way girls, even with looking into the camera and talking to us. I feel like that's something I've never seen before. That level of comfortability I haven't seen before in recent years around like trans storytelling. And so- I'm someone who who acknowledges that these stories definitely deserve to be told, absolutely, without mm-hmm. question. But I do want to also challenge people to create space for other stories to be told because we're not a one-size-fits-all monolithic community. And I think that's important to highlight. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's tough because when you think about D. Smith and these filmmakers who are making these films, it's like those are the stories that they're interested in. You never want to discourage a, mm-hmm. a an artist from pursuing what they want to. I guess the bigger question is more like the issue might be more so with those who are just only greenlighting these kinds of projects and not mm-hmm. others alongside them to better provide a breadth of, of different perspectives from this mold. But In terms of like the stylistic choices, I mean, one of the things I found most interesting is that it opens with 
Leah, who is from Georgia, telling a story that <laughs> is both terrifying. You can imagine it being terrifying in the moment, but then it's also kind of lighthearted and funny because she's basically telling the story about having a client and realizing the client has a gun and they both wind up wrestling over the gun. We, we, fuck, we fucking knocking shit over, bitch, getting holes in the wall. We literally fought from here down to the hallway. There's like some kind of lighthearted, jazzy kind of music playing underneath it. And then like that you have sort of a, a reenactment of sorts. And so I, I'm curious for what you thought about that choice to make something that is in the moment very dangerous and also speaks to the inherent dangers that come mm-hmm. with this type of profession with a sort of not as like harrowing sort of aesthetic choice. At least for me, it was really important and interesting to see this very difficult subject matter treated sometimes in ways that are at least less daunting. This could have been a very grave documentary, Mm. and it's Mm -hmm. not. How how does that read for you? I think it's at the pace for the documentary, right? That story that opens it up immediately sucks the viewer in. You can't turn it off once that story is being told. And I think it also highlights some of the realities that comes with some of the conversations that I've been exposed to regarding sex work, where it's not always this binary of like totally terrible or totally great. So Mm -hmm. I think this documentary as a whole with the tongue-in-cheekness of the danger of it, really kind of amplifies the gray area that so many who engage in sex work exist in. There's an unpredictability there. There can be a rush for some. And, you know, there's a difference between survival sex work Mm -hmm. and opting into sex work just Mm -hmm. because it's Tuesday and I want to have fun. I also feel like it's reflective of the way we as Black folks tell stories, right? Like, we just naturally can (laughs) tell a a very tragic, traumatic story that will have all of these twists and turns (laughs) and all of this laughter. And it's something that, you know, some people might hear us saying that they would think that we should be demure about or scared about or crying about, Mm -hmm. but just based on how we have been forced to navigate and survive this world, right, we are able to poke fun at it, right, to find the laughter in these really wild and absurd situations. And I think that's one of the things about the documentary that really shines, is that it is a deeply Black form of storytelling Mm -hmm. in terms of it having all of these many complexities that Char just discussed, while also being super digestible, super entertaining, Entertaining. Like the music, I think, is a tool yeah. in this film yeah. in a really kind of propulsive way that keeps you going. You never expect the types of sounds that you end up hearing in this yeah. film. And I think it keeps you as a viewer on your toes, right? It keeps you engaged. It keeps you activated in a way that I think some of the more traditional styled documentaries, they just don't have that particular, you know, razzle-dazzle. You know what it reminded me of, actually? While I was watching it, it felt like the earliest seasons of MTV's The Real World or like that HBO Mm. docuseries Real Sex. Do you remember that show from like the 90s? Like it has that same kind of like playful vibe, kind of artsy, art school, film school, like vibe to it, while it's also dealing with kind of intimate subject matter. And I liked that playfulness. So I want to talk about something that's kind of in the news that I feel like is very 
evocative of what's going on in the movie. And this is regarding um, the comedian Jess Hilarious, who is probably most mm-hmm. famous of Shara's rolling her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> as as one should. So there's this comedian named Jess Hilarious. She's probably best known as a cast member of the TV show Wild and Out. Mm-hmm. And she recently made some very derogatory, disparaging comments about quote unquote real women and about trans people and very turf stuff. And it's mm-hmm. caused an uproar specifically amongst black Twitter and and any one black who knows who Jess Hilarious is. And, you know, there have been plenty of people, including Angelica Ross and, and prominent trans activists who have spoken out about this. And what I really appreciated about this documentary to kind of link them together is the fact that there are several cast members, including Daniela, who really called cis straight black women and cis black women to task for not being in community with trans women and trying to spark this divide. And I would love to hear more about your thoughts on how Daniela and the movie itself kind of approaches this sort of very clear division that exists to some extent amongst Black cis women versus Black trans women, because it, it really struck me as myself a Black cis woman. Um, it was just like, yeah, I, I feel called out and I feel like I should be called out. But I'm curious <laughs> what you all thought of that. So Daniela's approach was masterful. OK, Daniela really sold the documentary for me. Like everything that she said, for the most part, I found myself giving a round of applause to. You know, because a Black woman don't know how to be a Black woman unless a Black man tell her she can be unless a white man give her the opportunity to to flourish and then become successful. And then all of a sudden she's now representing black success. Um, so we are always existing around systems on who we should be for someone else. And that's I think that what Daniela had to say, you know, regarding black cis women and black trans women is, you know, all roads lead back to the patriarchy. So the infighting mm-hmm. makes no sense because at the end of the day, there's still... You know, no spoiler to anyone who hasn't seen the Barbie movie, but it kind of reminds me of like the Kens at the end. Like, let's have them on the beach going to war while we're making legislation behind their back that's going to possibly penalize all of them. And I thought that Daniela did a, a great job of amplifying that I am not my sister's keeper, I am my sister. I know that's something that mm-hmm. Iyanla Van Zant frequently says, but it is the truth, especially as we head into, you know, the sociopolitical climate continues to turn. I think more people really need to sit with that and interrogate some of their own personal biases in politics. This movie is about Black trans women and their relationships to the Black community. So all the white folks listening, you get to, you know, see in to a conversation. But this is not a movie, quote unquote, for y'all. But the timeliness of this film, I think, kind of ratchets up its urgency in so many interesting ways. I'll also throw in the fact that Coco Dadal, who is one of the featured members of the cast, was killed earlier this year before the movie released in theaters and talks in the film about how so many of her trans sisters, you know, did not make it out of the life before they died. She says none of them did. Yeah. She says she lost all of her friends. That's what she says in the film. A lot of girls don't make it out of it. To be honest with you, a lot of girls do not make it out of it. Because I've almost been killed like two to three times. Like, just to even still be here, like, all my girlfriends are dead and gone. All my girlfriends are dead and gone. And now she is no longer with us. And so I think it's just, it's my hope that 
Black folks in particular will be able to, like, engage with this film and wrestle with the things that it brings up and deal with whatever uncomfortability, right, that comes up for them by watching these narratives and engaging in this conversation. Because like Char said, like, you know, trans people aren't the enemy, okay? <laughs> right? And when, <laughs> yeah. when, you, when you are thinking that trans women and trans people are either trying to replace you or trying to take something from you, you're ignoring the fact that there's all these broader systems, right? The patriarchy, the white supremacy, et cetera, that really should be the target of our ire. And so, like, it just really ends up, I think, being a distraction. But Daniela has one line it's in particular that really stuck out to me where she says, you know, the liberated black women don't got time for the broken black women. So so even the black the black woman who learned how to love herself, she's no longer accessible to teach that girl in the in the in the community where I was raised how to love herself. So I'm I'm dealing with broken black women. I'm not dealing with liberated black women. Because the liberated black women don't got time for the broken black women. Mm. And I think it's worth pointing out that while those four women we've already mentioned are at the center of this film, they do also interview other people, mm-hmm. including Lowe, who is a male music producer who is attracted to trans women in a sort of complicated way that I don't think he's fully grasping, <laughs> but he's at least he's grasping. And then there's also Lennox Love, who is the founder of a club event called Hush Night that allows mm-hmm. sort of this openness for trans people to commune without any sort of fear or shame. And I think it was interesting to include those voices, but how did you feel about including those voices alongside these other women? I loved it. And I mean, I thought we spent a little too much time with Lowe and him wrestling, you know, his feelings. Maybe it's a personal trigger for me. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> the tale is old as time, you know. So that was, I mean, he did add, you know, more of a comedic aspect to it, even though what some of what he said was highly problematic. Yeah. But it speaks to the reality, much like Trayville mm-hmm. mentioned, that's so specifically Black that the language might not always be at the level that we would use in settings of media or academia. If you're just talking to someone, mm-hmm. you know, around the way or at the barbershop or at the beauty salon, you're going to get different type of language. And I think that Lowe telling his story kind of illustrated that. What I found interesting about the Hush Night storyline is that it was taking place in Louisiana, and I don't know if that was the name of it, but that's something that's been around. People mm-hmm. do things like that in L.A. I live in L.A. Mm-hmm. all the time. Don't let a championship or some type of sporting event. Like, these things really happen. And so I thought it was bold to kind of cement that and expose that in this documentary because it's not as uncommon as people would think. And I think that that also speaks to a cultural aspect because it's basically just like Magic City, except mm-hmm. like instead of cis women... It's black trans women and they're meeting with, you know, ballers and rappers and doing all different types of things. And so it was interesting to get additional perspectives when it's specifically speaking towards black trans sex workers. It was very interesting to hear from men and not have their voices altered or their faces blurred out. And, you Mm -hmm. know, they're on camera talking the talk, you know. And it's interesting you mentioned that, right? Because in even the recent past in which we have heard from men who are attracted to trans women, it often is this, like, secret thing 
so that they have to, you know, cover their face or alter their voice because there's some sort of shame that society has made them feel. And so they go through all of these steps to conceal their identity so that people don't, you know, accuse them of being gay or otherwise Mm -hmm. question their manhood. I think having the men in this film, one, it makes the film something you have not seen before. So many things that relates to trans womanhood specifically in culture are rooted in sex work. But with this film, you have that, but you also have this element of the men that I think really kind of elevates it in a particular way and allows us to have a more rich conversation about the experiences of trans women, especially in terms of how they move through the world, right? Finding love, being desired, etc. And if I could add to that, Mm -hmm. I think that it would be also bold and daring to one time have a trans story where men are not centered. There are women out Mm -hmm. here who are trans who do not center men in everything that they do, whether that be out of necessity for survival or just existing. But without saying it explicitly, I think that this film with adding the men, it lends itself to the conversation of exploring how sexuality is on a spectrum. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there are also moments where, you know, the women are talking about the beauty expectations and whether or not they've had surgery or haven't had surgery. And I think that sort of very openness, like you said, Char, kind of lends lends this additional layer of really talking about how desire can be way more complex than we are used Mm -hmm. to talking about it. And I mean, to that point, I want to kind of close by asking, you know, what other kinds of trans stories are you hoping to see? I want to see, explore stories of trans people, maybe in red states right now, getting up and going to work. How are they navigating that terrain? Um, This isn't an indictment on trans filmmakers because I do know that it is a function of the funding and of the people with the money who buy into Mm -hmm. these stories. But in turn, they're also controlling narratives. Why can't we have like a trans version of like an insecure? Mm. Someone just... Mm-hmm. walking their dog to Starbucks and getting a pup cup and a coffee for themselves because I know trans people who run the gamut as far as life experiences, as far as how they show up in the world, but we keep getting fed one specific narrative. And I just think it's time for some sort of remix. Yeah. But we, we're we experiencing one linear archetype when it comes to trans womanhood and trans women navigating the terrain of life. Really anything. At this point, anything positive. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you, Shar. Like, I think trans people live and exist in a variety of different ways. But when you look at even the recent history of how the community has been represented on screen, it is very finite. So, like, what would it look like to have a, a trans scandal? Could you imagine... You know, Olivia Pope, but she's trans. (laughs) Political thriller, yes. Give me some trans villains, okay? Like, we're still in that era where all of the trans characters, for the most part, on scripted television still have to be unassailable. They still have Mm. to be nice, you know, because Uh we don't want to allow the, the hateful folks in state legislatures across the country to have more poor ideas about who we are. We can do better. We just want to see more. And also give us stories where they're not trauma informed. Mm-hmm. Like you just, we, we brought mm. up the barista. I don't need to see the barista walking to work and having a flashback to the time her father threw her in the trash can. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. We, Come on, Empire. You know, 
I'm just saying. I'm just saying, like, we have to get away from some of the same tropes that are reiterated time and time and time and time again. Because there are trans people who exist within their transition and beyond their transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, a year, two, five years from now, this will sound like many, many years ago and we'll have come a little bit further at least. I love your optimism. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't usually have optimism. This is just me trying to, you know, manifest. Yes. Call it in, Aisha. Call it in. Well, we want to know what you think about Kokomo City and you should absolutely check it out if you haven't yet. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH and that brings us to the end of our show. Travel Anderson, Shar Jassel, thanks so much for being here and, and again, Shar, welcome to PCHH. It was great having you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Thanks for having us. This episode was produced by Ramel Wood and Liz Metzger and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Ayesha Harris, and we'll see you all tomorrow. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it, and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR.